you today. I am going to attempt here, coming off the hip replacement, going to see if I can stand. I made it through the first service, so we'll see if the, the Lord sustains for the second one. Um, we're preaching through the book of Matthew, and we've been, we're going to be looking at the last week, uh, the, the end of Jesus' message of the Sermon on the Mount uh, this morning. As an introduction, uh, life is full of tough choices. We've all faced them. I was just in in Arizona for my hip replacement, and Jill and I were faced with the impossible decision between Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out Burger. And and I don't want to divide the church here. I don't want a church split over this. Uh, We prayed about it, and the good Lord showed us an answer. He said, brethren, you're here for a week. Do both. And so we did a couple times. And now we're on a diet for the next month to try to undo what we did to ourselves. Uh, maybe for you, d- difficult decision. So I'm going I'm to give one to you. Uh, would you rather uh, drop your phone or drop a kitten? Now, some of you need to repent because you hesitated. You, you thought about it for a second. You said, I just got the newest iPhone. I don't. It's cost a lot more than that kitten. And there's going to be a time at the end for repentance. Um, how about this guy? He's choosing between the fountain of youth to live eternally or the fountain of bacon. And notice which way his head's turned. I don't know if that's... And I can identify with the walker there. I've I've been walking that road. Um, But life can also be full of of actual hard choices. Uh, We talked last week as Robbie uh, shared his heart. Uh, Him and Kara had to make a tough decision. And they're going to be in the spring moving up to the valley to be taking the position of worship director. uh, Robbie is at another church in Palmer. Uh, It was a hard decision. And it leaves us with some hard decisions going forward. Uh, What about, for some of us, what college to attend? Uh, We've made hard decisions on a job to take or not take, somebody to marry or or not marry, whether or not to move, how to raise our children, what to do with temptation in our lives. We have difficult decisions we make every day, and today Jesus is calling us, he's presenting us with what is the ultimate choice, the most important choice in our lives. We've been studying through the book of Matthew, and, and what we've seen is that Matthew has a mission, and there's two things he wants to show us. Number one is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He says that everything that God said to his people in the, in the Old Testament was pointing toward me. And now the second thing he wants to show us is that Jesus has, has come. He says, the kingdom is here. I have brought it, and it's at hand. And so in this sermon, he's been trying to unpack In the last three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, we called it. He's been trying to unpack what does this kingdom look like that the king has brought, and what does it mean to live rightly as a citizen in that kingdom, to do things God's way, to walk with him. And and we've seen if there's anything that Jesus has been underlining is that it's ultimately about the, the heart. It's not just outward action, but it's an inward action that will drive the way we live and the choices that we make. And what we saw him sum up last week was in verse 12 of chapter 7, to do unto others what you would wish them to do to you. It's the golden rule, right? And we saw this stems from the Father's heart, who wants to do the most good, has done the most good possible for us, and then that's to become our hearts as well. A heart of love for him and a heart of love for others. He says not just the outward, not just avoiding violations of the law, like don't murder people, but deeper, he said, to help, to do the most good possible, to love them, and to be, even be willing to give your life up for somebody else, which is, of course, what Jesus modeled for us in giving up his own life so that we might, we might have life. And this week, Jesus is going to conclude his sermon, and he does so with a call to make a choice, a decision a commitment. And, and we're back in the garden. Remember, this is where it all started. Adam and Eve with a choice to 
choose to trust God or lean on their own understanding and decide what is right and wrong. And, and here we've been saying that Matthew is presenting Jesus not just as the new Adam and improved Moses. And you remember, if you've watched the, the Charlton Heston version of this story, um, that, that, Jesus, that Moses, God spoke through Moses, giving the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but 613 commandments, to tell the nation of Israel, here's how you live rightly with your God. And so he presents this law that they are to abide in, to live rightly. And then at the end of the message, God says through Moses, I'm giving you a choice. You can obey me and I'll bless you. You'll stay and live in the promised land. Or you disobey me and there will be curses and you will be driven out of the land. And here today, Jesus is saying, I have come to teach you and become the fulfillment of the law, to show you the true meaning of the law and the way to actually have the right heart that walks with God rightly, to do what Moses' law could not because of our, our sinful flesh. And so he also concludes with giving his audience a choice. And so because of that, today at the conclusion of, of my sermon, which I was going to call the Sermon on the Stool, but because I'm walking, it just won't apply. Um, I'm also going to present our audience today with, with a choice, an opportunity to act on a decision. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 through 29 is, is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Jesus presents us with four choices. He's going to show us there are two gates for us to enter and from there two paths to take. He's going to show us two kinds of teachers that we can follow, two claims that we can make when we stand before God someday, and then two foundations that we can build our lives upon. And with that, it's going to come four warnings. Now, I remember, if, if any of you guys, when you go up to Anchorage, um, driving can be stressful. It's a little bit different than slow Dotna, right? They have things like uh, actual roundabouts, not like the fake ones we have here. Um, they have exit ramps. Like, what? How do we? I don't remember how to. And, and I remember this one time I was driving downtown Anchorage, and um, I'm heading down the road, and I see several cars coming directly at me in my lane. How dare they? Until I realized I saw the warning sign too late. I am heading the wrong direction in a one-way street. Just a small town boy living in Soldatna. Um, so I freak out, right? What am I going to do? I, I survive, just in case you didn't. Spoiler alert. Um, along with these four choices, Jesus is going to give us four warnings. And he wants to, to tell us, he wants to warn us from making the wrong choices, from heading the wrong direction, and, and to, to what it does look like to enter into our Father's kingdom, to live life with him, his way. So how do we do that? Well, let's dive into this passage together. Uh, the first point we're going to look at, it, there's some, uh, some blanks to fill in in your notes if you, if you get your bulletin out. The first one is two, there are two gates to enter, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, even in modern-day Jerusalem, uh, a little bit south of where Jesus was teaching, there's still an, a, a walled, uh, there's a, a, these high walls around the old part of Jerusalem. And, and unless you're like Jewish Superman, you're not, you're not jumping over those walls, right? You have to go through the gates if you want to enter into the city. Now, there are some, some broader gates, like you see here. Many people can go through at a time. Even cars can drive through. There are other gates that are harder to access, and they involve these steep paths, and only one person or a couple people, maybe a small animal, can, can go through at, at one at a time. And what, what we see here is, and I don't know about you, but I love the easy way. 
I love taking the easy way. If I've got two options, it's not hard for me. Like, you got people like this fool. Walk, what are you doing? God invented escalators, right? Why are you taking the stairs? Like, are you trying to get your Fitbit going? Like, what is your deal, right? If I'm in the airport, I have a moving sidewalk. That is, that's, that's the path. I'm not taking the non-moving sidewalk, right? These aren't difficult decisions in my life. And what he's saying here in verse 13, there is a wide gate. And from that is an easy path. And there are many people who say, I'm no fool, I'm taking the escalator. But he says the problem with that way is that it leads to destruction. He says there's another way, there's a narrow gate. And it's a hard path. And there are few who will go through it. No wonder, it's the harder path. But he says it leads to life. Jesus is saying here, if if you want to follow me, there's there's one way. There's, There's one gate. And he's speaking to his disciples here, and he says, on the other side of that gate, it's going to be a hard path. Think about the people that he's calling to follow him and what they're about to face just even the next two years of his life. He says, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man is not going to have a place to lay his head. You're going to follow me, and there's going to be persecution. And we see that. Many of the, the, the Jewish people turn on these guys that follow Jesus. They crucify Jesus, and most of the people who follow him either scatter or they end up continuing to follow him, and they die for Jesus as well. He says the way is hard, but it leads to life. And one day it will be worth it. Those martyrs did not regret the decision that they made. Hard does not mean a lack of joy or even rest along the path. There's satisfaction at the end. I had hip, hip, uh, recover, had hip replacement a couple weeks ago, and, and, I, and I've got some paths forward that I can take if I want to find recovery. Now, early on, it requires rest, but ultimately, if I want to have healthy hips again, I've got to make the right decisions, right? I've got to go to PT. I've got to do my exercises and strength training. I need to eat well, right? Keep the LBs off since I can't be as active, or I could choose the easier path and lay on the couch and indulge in bags after bags of Sour Patch Kids and watch Disney+. Plus. I can make those two decisions right one leads to healthy hips the other one will lead to diabetes at the age of 40 right it's my decision not following jesus is the easier path he says but easier doesn't mean better now there are many people especially in our social climate today who would say they would bristle at the exclusive claims that jesus makes because what does he say in john 10 he says i'm the gate if you want to enter into life there's only one way to do it and they go, man, that's too narrow. Can't, what, about, what about just people who are trying to live a good life? What about people who are just doing their best, the best they know how? Shouldn't there be, I mean, don't all roads lead to, road, to Rome as long as they're trying? Well, is it, is, it too ex- is it too exclusive to tell somebody what to put in their gas tank? They can tell, you can't judge me. I can put whatever I want in my gas tank. Well, you can put sugar in your gas tank, but it will destroy your car and it won't get you where you're going. Even if it's maple syrup, right, for us paleo snobs out there, it's still not going to work. It might seem restrictive. The way might seem narrow. I know. But it's how your car was designed, right? And, and it's, it's only when you follow the instructions that your car is free to function as it was originally intended. And that's the paradox. Charles Price says it's only when we narrow our interests to Jesus that we find our life functioning as we were designed by our creator. So yeah, it's restrictive, but it's the only way to to, to true freedom. The first warning that Jesus wants to give here is stop. 
that many of you are heading in a direction that ends in destruction. It it may look easier. It, It may look more appealing right now, but it ends in death. It's a dead end. Stop and turn around. He says there is a path that leads. And yeah, it looks harder right now, but that's the only way you're going to find life with God. And maybe this morning you find yourself on the wrong path or don't even know it. So how do we know which path we're on? Well, we move on to what he says next. Two teachers that he gives us to follow. Two teachers. 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says they pretend to be something they're not, to be sheep, but the the reality is they're a ravenous wolf. Now, what's the ravenous wolf want? Well, he wants to eat the very sheep that he's pretending to become. Now, Jesus is addressing those who are pretending to be good, but they're actually out to devour. They don't want to give to you. They want to take from you. And Jesus says, beware. Beware of those who are claiming to lead you down the right path to life, but are actually heading you down a road that will take your life. So how do we choose rightly? How do we know those that we listen to? the prophets, the voices in our life, the teachers, the influences. Well, he says to do some fruit inspection. Verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or from thistles? This is a hypothetical question to which us Alaskans are like, oh, <laughs> we don't have fruit here. <laughs> we have bad fruit that's really expensive at Fred Meyer. Um, verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. This is just intuitive. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then you'll recognize them by their fruits. So I think certainly this includes somebody's message, the word they're saying. And we're called to be like the Bereans in Acts, where we should always take the words that we're hearing and say, do they line up with what I understand of the word of God, what Jesus is saying? My prayer is that you do that with me every single week. It's what I'm saying, jiving with what you're reading in the book. And we should do that with everybody. Even if you're listening to somebody on YouTube or the radio, always say, does it measure up? Does it, does it connect with what Jesus is saying in the word? But I think there's a deeper examination here that Jesus is getting at. What's he been, what's he been getting at his entire sermon? The heart. And when we look about, when we see fruit in scripture, it's a reference to somebody's character, to, to the way that they live their life and who they are. So we don't just examine their words, we examine their hearts. And here's why that matters so much. Those who really teach us how to follow Jesus shouldn't just be those who we're getting information from. It's not just downloading the facts of a, of a sermon or something you read online. This is about walking with those who have an active relationship with Jesus and who can teach you how to live right. We become what we behold. We've been talking about this in this message. So, so my mentor, the last seven years, has been walking the road with, with Larry Smithwick. And you know what's going to happen over time? The more you spend time with somebody, you start to become like them. So if you are following a wolf, you will eventually become a wolf. And are the similarities not uncanny? It's amazing. Wow. I'm just kidding. Um, Larry has much better teeth. So if you make sure that you're only following those who are following Jesus. Otherwise, you won't become like Jesus. Look at the fruit, look at the, look at the fruit of their lives, the way that they live, and look at those who are, are also influenced by them, what their life look like. Now, we, we all are influenced by somebody. So, so who, look at those in your life, the, the teachers that you're listening to, the influencers, and choose wisely. And, and look at their fruit. How do they live their lives? How do they treat their spouse? Because if you hang out with them, that's how you're going to start to treat your spouse. How do they treat their kids? 
Are, are they a person that, that brings unity or, or divides? Are they the kind of person that gives or are they the kind of person that takes? Are, are, they, are, they, uh, are they a person with integrity? Are they a person who's honest with their struggle of, of sin in Jesus? Because we're not looking for a perfect person. That doesn't, person doesn't exist. Or are they, are they a one, one that understands the grace of our God through Jesus and lives like it? Choose wisely because that is the kind of person you're going to become. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this takes time, right? You don't plant a tree and it just starts spraying fruit. It takes time to develop. It's going to take time walking the road with people to see this kind of fruit. And this is the kind of inspection that Jesus called us to. Last week, he said, do not judge in a condemning spirit, but have discernment. Evaluate those in, in your life. And some of us are going, I don't even have that kind of person in my life. I have nobody like that. Uh, you're not alone in that. And we all need someone, an intentional person like that. But I'm here to tell you, we're all being influenced by somebody and something. So the second warning here is, is warning, there are false prophets ahead, right? I, I said in the first service, we have to be careful of, of four prophets. And that's about the reaction I got there too. Okay, cool. Uh, choose your teachers carefully because there's a day coming when their fruit and our fruit is going to come under inspection. And, and that's where Jesus points us to in the next section. Verse, uh, point number three, there are two claims to make. Two claims to make. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this, is, this is, again, Jesus is not mincing words here. But this isn't an easy one to interpret, right? What's he saying? Who, who is Jesus turning away, and, and who is he welcoming in? And that's an important question. Think about it this way. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. And uh, f- for you millennials out there, uh, he's a musician. <laughs> sort of like Beyonce, right? They get confused all the time. It, it's, it's, easy to, it's an easy mistake. I, I believe that he is the greatest songwriter of all time. Which, of course, is subjective, but in this case, I'm right. So it just is what it is. I, I, could quote all, I could quote so many of his songs to you. I could impersonate him, right? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. All right? I, can, I can do the Bob Dylan. Um, I can, I've been to his concerts. I've even tried to make Bob Dylan disciples. My buddy Ian, driving up the Alcan, I had him listen to album after album. I told him it was his Bobocation, right? Trying to convert Ian to Bob. But if I showed up at Bob Dylan's door one day, somehow getting through all the security guards. And I knock on his door, and he opens it and looks at me. What's he going to say to me? Who are you? (laughs) I'm the guy that knows your name. In fact, I even know your real name. It's not Bob Dylan. It's Robert Allen Zimmerman. I know a lot of facts about you. I know your songs, and I've I've even other people to be interested in your songs. You want to go get a bite to eat, Bob? And he's going to say, leave right now, or I'm calling the police. I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you. And the false claim that Jesus is rejecting here includes someone who calls him the right name. Right? He says, Lord, Lord. That word is translated God, master. Right? They're nailing. They know who he is. And, And then look at the things that they did. They said, didn't we prophesy in your name? We said right words. And, and we, we cast out demons. 
If, if I see a demon in someone and, and, and can get rid of that demon in them, that's a good thing to do. We've done lots of good things. And not only have we done good things, he says we've done them in your name. This is one who's claiming the Jesus brand. For us today, this would be someone who's going to church. And Jesus looks at him like Bob would have looked at me. And what does it say? He says, I never knew you. Now the word new here, the Greek word gnosko, it means an acquaintance. It's not that Jesus is like, oh, I've, I didn't know. I mean, he knows everything, right? He, he knows the information, the facts about oh, who we are. He knows, but he says there's no relationship there. And he says, he calls these people workers of lawlessness. You do not live according to God's standard. And what have we seen from Jesus teaching over and over in this sermon? The heart of God's law is to love other people as yourself and to love him with all your heart. And that love starts with a relationship. You don't love and trust someone you don't have. A I mean, what's 1 Corinthians 13? You can do all these things. You can surrender your body to the flames. But if you don't have love, you're a gong. It's worth nothing. And so what he says to these people is, depart from me. Depart from me. You are not welcome in my kingdom. So listen, I preach a sermon every week about Jesus. I counsel people in the name of Jesus. I help the poor and the sick in our community. I pray for people in the name of Jesus. But do I know Jesus? Do I have an actual relationship with him? Michael McDuffie of, of Moody Bible, he said it this way, before we live for the Lord, we need to learn to live before the Lord. In other words, before we just, we're trying to do all these things for him, do all these great works in his name, do we actually live in his presence? Do we know him? So we can do a lot of things in his name. I know all the Greek and the Hebrew names for God. I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you all those. Maybe we can rattle off all of his lyrics, right? We know the Bible quotes. I've been really involved at church doing church things in his name, volunteering at the food bank, telling other people about him. But the question is, when I knock on the door, will he say, I don't even know who you are. There's, there's no love relationship here. The third warning is that there's a fruit inspection coming at the border. And he says, some of you will be able to enter and some of you will be turned back. And Jesus is the one that has the authority to make that final decision. Now, what's the true claim here? Well, so if that's the false claim, doing things in his name without relationship, the true claim, he says in verse 21, but the one who does the will of my father is the one, is the one that enters. So what does that mean? And the right follow-up question then is, what, what does it look like for us to do the will of the father? And that's where he lands the plane in the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Two foundations for us to build on. Two foundations for us to build on. The last warning is that there are faulty foundations ahead. There are certain foundations to build on that will not stand. Be careful where you build. He says, everyone then, or maybe some of your translations, they say, therefore. And what would we said over and over? When the therefore is there, when we ask, what's it there for? What's he trying to say? He's concluding his sermon. We need to pay attention to how he summarizes. How is it? He says, you want to make the right choice? How is it that we enter the right gate? How is it that we take the right path? How is it that we bear the right fruit? How is it that we make the right claim? He tells us in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And we just can get it out of our system. And the wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, we're good. We're good. Um, he says, now let's compare this, right? He's making a comparison between two people. He's trying to make a point. So what's the same and what's different in this comparison? Well, we see that both of them are building houses. And we see that both of them are going to experience storms that are going to blow against the house. But what's the difference between the two? It's the foundation. One of them is built on a rock and the other one's built on sand. Now, very close to where Jesus was preaching was the Sea of Galilee. And in the summer months, the dry summer months, the, the sand would be very hard. And you actually could start to build a house on the sand at that time. But a wise builder knew they got to go a few feet below and get to the bedrock because even though it was a desert, the torrential rains would come in season and they'd wash away that sand. See, in the good, house, in the good weather, both houses, they look the same. Right? When things are going our way, everybody's happy. But it was the storms that were brewing, the storms that were coming that would reveal the quality of the house and it's the trials in our lives that reveal who we really are, our heart, our character. We'll see what our foundation is really built on when we get that phone call that changes our life forever. When we hear that it's cancer. When we hear that a child's died. A loved one is sick. But when we get the call that our spouse is walking away. Temptation calls. So the important question is, What's the, what's the foundation? How can we make sure that we're building on a foundation that will stand when these storms of life eventually hit? Because notice he doesn't say, build on the right foundation and it'll all be sunny weather. Storms are coming inevitably for both of these people. But it's the wise man's house that stands and it's the foolish man's that falls flat. So how do we ensure that we're on solid ground? Well, he tells us clearly here. He says, it's the one that hears my words and does them. Because again, he says, both people here hear the words. They, they know the truth, but the difference is one of them does it and one of them doesn't. Jesus says, I don't really care how many people are here in church today hearing the words. The ones that I know, the ones that I welcome in, they're the people who hear my words and then live accordingly. Okay, so what does this mean then? How, how do we hear and do? Because for some of us, we're feeling that tension. Wait a second, is this a work salvation? Is he saying you got to do things in order to be saved? Now, let's not just be rushing to put stuff in that category so quickly. What is it that Jesus is calling us to do here? Well, we know when he came to announce that kingdom, what was the first word out of his lips? He said back in Matthew 4, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. Repent. The word repent means to change one's mind, to change the way you're, you're thinking, and to think the way that God is thinking, to see the way God is seeing. And that starts with us. And how does God see us? Man, he sees us as his creation that he loves and wants a relationship with. But he also sees the reality that we are a sinner. And he knows that I have rebelled and pushed away from him and gone my own way and not given him glory and, and chosen to disobey and, and chosen to put myself in the middle of my own life and not him. And so for me, this first step in doing it is to say, I'm wrong, and I can't live right on my own. 
In John 6, his disciples asked him a similar question. What do we do to do your works, Jesus? And he told them, he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The first one is to say, I can't do it, I'm wrong. And the second one, the second step is to believe that God sent Jesus to be for me what I couldn't be, to do for me what I couldn't do. And he came to this earth and lived rightly. And he died on a cross to take away my sins and then to give me a new life and a new heart so that I could live rightly in a relationship with God, so that I could do the things that he's calling me to do. And what is it that he's calling me to do? Well, what did he just unpack in these last three chapters? He says, hear the words of mine and do them. What words? The words that he just, we just spent six weeks looking at. He said at the beginning, be humble. Be peacemakers. Don't be people who indulge in lust and anger. So don't be the people who worry about things, but trust that my Father will provide everything that you need. Do the most good to the people around you. Love other people as you'd want to be loved. These are the things that he's calling us into. And many of us here have been hearing those things, but we're not obeying those things. We're hearing what we're not doing. And that gap, that's the gap that matters. That's the gap that makes all of the difference. Because now that we can, now that we have a new life in Christ, he's calling us to live differently. And then the sermon ends, verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Now remember we said at the beginning, he's speaking to his disciples, but the crowds are here, they're listening. And the crowds, it says, they're astonished. And why is it they're astonished? Well, the last verse says, for, there's the reason, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What it's saying here, the scribes were their teachers of that day that would interpret the law and teach it to them. So the scribes were people who would quote the Bible. They would point people to the truth, to what other people had said about the truth. Jesus came and said, I am the truth. Hear the words of mine and do them and you'll live. Now imagine if on a Sunday morning, that's how I, I, I presented myself. I said, I, good morning, church. Listen to my words and you will live. Hopefully I would hear some heresy from the crowd and throw some rocks at me or, or maybe some marshmallows. That might be nicer. Um, Jesus is making a claim here. And the central purpose of the sermon, listen, this is not just, hey, live a moral life. Do the best that you can. Remember, the, it's, not, it's not the broad path. Jesus is not trying to point us to live morally. He's trying to point us to himself. He's the whole point of everything, right? Jesus is not just another prophet saying, thus saith the Lord. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. You've heard it said this, but I say this, that it's his teaching in life that fulfills what the Old Testament heart was. It's been pointing to him the entire time. If we want to live rightly, if we want to enter into God's kingdom, to have a relationship with him, to live according to his will, to know him and walk with him, he says, it must be through me. I'm the gate. I've got to be your master. I've got to be your teacher. I've got to be your Lord. I've got to be your savior. And any other choice that we make is foolishness and rebellion and ultimately self-centeredness that will lead us to destruction and death, which is separation from our God. So I want to do some heart work together. If you close your eyes with me. And this is just to help us focus. God listens to people whether or not their eyes are open or closed. The story at the end here it says the crowds were astonished. They were astonished, but it doesn't tell us whether or not they do what he says. And in fact, if, if we read the rest of the story, and we will in Matthew, we see most of Israel won't do what he says. 
So the crowd's story is unfinished. So is ours. And we don't do this a lot here, but I want to give a chance to respond, make a choice, because Jesus so clearly presents us with a choice here. And we're going to have some brothers and sisters in, in the back here, and they're going to be available to talk or to pray uh, as I close the sermon. And we have a, a few songs that we're going to sing together in closing. And here's what I want us to consider. This morning, we've heard Jesus' words, enter through the narrow gate to life. In fact, later he will say, I am the gate, I am the way, I am the life myself. So we've heard those words, and, and many of us have heard those for a long time, but, but there's a difference between hearing and doing. And maybe you've never taken that first step of repentance. Maybe you've, you've never said, Jesus, I'm, I'm walking the wrong path. I entered the wrong gate. I've been heading the wrong way. And it's only, maybe you've already seen the way it leads to destruction in your life. And so today, there's an opportunity to make the choice and say that I'm a sinner. And I can't live rightly with God on my own. I need a Savior. There's someone in the back that can pray with you. Maybe you've heard the words to beware of the wrong teachers. Jesus says, I'm ultimately your teacher. I am the great shepherd. Maybe today is the day you need to do something about it. Maybe you need to change who you've been following. You've been influenced by the wrong people, heading in the wrong direction. Today is the day where we make the choice to follow ultimately Jesus and those who are doing likewise. There's someone in the back to, to talk to you, point next steps, how to follow him, to plug into a community here of Jesus followers. And maybe we heard the words today of Jesus that says, even those who claim my name, those who do good works in my name, don't necessarily get admitted into the kingdom, that it's doing my Father's will, he said. It's only people who have a relationship with Jesus that out and out of that relationship, the new heart, can they love God and others? And so maybe today for you, it's the day where you recognize, man, I've been going to church, been singing the songs, listening to the messages, and even I've been doing good things for other people, but I don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. Maybe today is the day to take that first step toward that. Or maybe today you realize, I've been hearing God's word, but I'm not doing it. Because what we believe and who we are will show itself, Jesus said today, in the in the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives, we marked by love. And what has Jesus been calling us to in this sermon? Let's do a heart check here. Not just did we hear these words, but am I actually living this way? Is this who I am? Are you humble? Are, are you a peacemaker, or are you one that makes division? Are you hungry and thirsty for living rightly? Or have you just been doing your own thing, comforts of, of the right now? Are you loving those who are not kind back to you? Or are you getting even? Are you, are you chasing the worldly temporary treasures, thinking that they'll satisfy instead of the eternal ones that he says that, that will actually never get touched by the rust or the moth? Or are we just indulging anxieties and worries and, and not resting in our Father's love? Is there someone that we're judging hypocritically, not addressing the logs in our own eyes? We're not approaching somebody with gentleness or humility. Are you letting God be God in your life and asking, seeking, knocking for the things that only he can provide? And imagine for a second, imagine tomorrow. Think about Monday. Imagine living each day in a way before you said something or did something, you asked Jesus, what do you want me to say or do? How would you have me treat that person? What would your word tell me about making that decision? 
And I want you to hear me on this. This is not just some kind of altar call where it's an emotionally based decision um, or just simply that the non-Christians go to the back and become Christians. We're not, we're not playing that game. I'm not going to try to coerce you into anything. And ultimately, this is a heart issue before you and Jesus. Jesus is asking us this morning in the text, which path are we heading on? Because one goes to life and one does not. I believe there is a point in time that we get raised to life. But sometimes we just boil it all down to are we going to heaven or hell? Jesus is talking about following him. And discipleship is way more about a direction than it is a location. So we ask ourselves today, am I trusting Jesus? Am I following his direction? And maybe you don't even know how to take the next step of obedience. That's why we're in this together. And maybe it's just taking that step in the back and talking with somebody. And these aren't experts. These are just other brothers and sisters, other pilgrims who want to listen and help pray with you about what direction to take. Because this is ultimately between you and the Lord. Maybe it's just a minute here on your own to do some hard work and say, Jesus, today's the day I need to make a decision. I need to change directions. Maybe, maybe it's just it's following up later. You can fill out a contact card on the welcome table and, and we can get back to you later this week. I don't know where you're at and what you need, but we all need moments in our lives where we make a choice. That's what Jesus is calling us here today. Not just hearing my words. If you want to enter the narrow gate, you've heard what I've said and then you've, done, you've repented, you've believed in me and you've walked with me. So, Father, we pray, out of the love that you have for us, you've called us into this relationship with Jesus. What a sweet gift, the true life that you've offered us, to know our God through him and to be known by you in this love relationship. And, Lord, I pray that I would be one, first and foremost, who would love you, trust you, let you call the shots of my life. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters here as well. I want to hear one day, Father, when I'm standing before you, I want to hear the words, not depart from me, I never even knew you. I want to hear, well done. You did it. You, you did what I told you to do, good and faithful servant, and to enter into the joy of my master. So, Father, I pray for boldness and bravery for those in this room who need to make a decision, they need to repent, they need to enter the gate, enter into a relationship with you, they need to start doing and not just hearing Give them the wisdom of what next steps to take. Surround them with people in their lives who can walk that road with them. And whether it's going to the back or sitting down here, I don't, I don't know. That's not the point, Father. You know what they need. It's up to them to respond to your Spirit's leading. And I pray that you would give them the love to do what you've called them to do. There's one foundation we can build our lives on. It's you that's worthy of all of our praise, all of our life. And so we want to surrender our lives and our decisions into your hands, the great master, the great teacher, the great giver of life and savior. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're going to have it today. I am going to attempt here, coming off the hip replacement, and see if I can stand. I made it through the first service, so we'll see if the, the Lord sustains for the second one. Um, we're preaching through the book of Matthew, and we've been, we're going to be looking at the last week, uh, the, the end of Jesus.